Hello and welcome to Unsourced Wall. My name is Elvis and as always, I am your host. Okay, so this is going to be, again, a packed episode because we're still in the middle of having all of these new weekly episodes and, well, let's try and get this rolling as smoothly as we can. First off, we don't have much in terms of movie news. In fact, the only really interesting thing that happened this week is that Warner Brothers finally announced its primary streaming service, which they are calling HBO Max. And it's going to be encompassing all of their other streaming services they already have going on, like the HBO Go stuff and DC Universe. So hopefully that shakes out pretty well. I have HBO Go and I have DC Universe, so I don't know if that's going to be grandfathered in. I hope so, but if not, we'll see what happens from there. Other than that, let's move on to TV news. Really, the only interesting that we have going on right now is that apparently the Image Comic Paper Girls from Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang has been optioned for a TV show along with Amazon Studio. I haven't read that comic. I know a lot of people who have and apparently it's okay-ish enough, but it's not that great and it's not that smooth, but hopefully it can find some sort of footing when adapted to another medium like and well the premise I think does leave that open for that chance. So you know fingers crossed for that. And we have a wealth of comic news this week. First and foremost is that apparently John Constantine is being reinserted back into the Vertigo universe, at least this time under the Black Label Sandman universe banner that they have going on that is meant to be like this offshoot of the Vertigo stuff. So he's getting his own ongoing again, a new Hellblazer ongoing. Apparently it's going to be picking off from something seen in the original Books of Magic miniseries that Gaiman wrote, where you see an old older John Constantine in a small cameo. That's to be interesting because we do see that older John Constantine at the end of the original Hellblazer 300 and I'm wondering whether or not that's going to be where it picks off from or if that's going to be where that leads off from because it was a very ambiguous ending to begin with and it does have that leeway to do that and now that we're getting this new ongoing it even mentions in the solicit that Constantine re-emerges unaged and with his memories intact but having a world that has passed him by he's wondering if history is repeating itself so it makes me wonder if this is meant to be well the original vertigo constantine or not there's been some arguments to either and i think that well it would be kind of a shame and kind of a missed opportunity if it wasn't the original vertigo constantine and that you're trying to have this whole cyclical nature thing and he's aware of it then why not have that be where you're starting off from especially since you want this and it's being vaunted as a return to roots as a return to basics I mean, it seems like a no-brainer here. But apparently, Cy Spurrier is going to be writing the initial one-shot debut. I think he's going to be writing the ongoing. By the way, I think he's a good fit. I think he's been doing some of the strongest things in the Vertigo reboot with the Sammy Universe stuff and in the Dreaming. So... I'm excited. I really am. So fingers crossed for that too. Let's do some quick shots. Apparently Superman Smashes the Clan by Gene Luen Yang and the artistic team of Guru Hero that was announced way back for a lot of the initial young adult comic stuff has finally resurfaced and it's finally showing some new art, an actual cover. And I can't wait for that either. It looks pretty great. I think it's a great premise. I think that it's fantastic that it's based on some of the old radio show because that was one of the adaptations that really codified a lot of things that we find at comic about Superman and I can't wait to see that redone for a new generation and a new era so that's gonna be great so I'm really ecstatic about that I can't wait to see that come to fruition next up apparently DC Black Label is coming out with two different Jeff Lemire miniseries one is called Joker Killer Smile about the Joker and the other one which is the more exciting one is The Question The Deaths of Vic Sage that has art from Dennis Cohen and Bill Sankowitz and I can't wait for that apparently it's gonna be about well kind of a whatever happened to the the Cape Crusader style thing which very much like we just went over with 
Hellblazer and how they're rebooting that, apparently the question will start to realize that he has been endlessly reoccurring in Hub City again and again, semi-Hawkman-esque throughout the centuries, and that he is on the case to figure out why. It promises to be half spiritual, half mystical, and well, I really hope that Jeff Lemire can really pull it off because honestly, most of his DC stuff has been complete and utter shit. I really hope this is good. Vic deserves that. The question deserves that. The amazing art he has on tap right now with Cohen and Psychoids deserve that immensely. Honestly, I really hope that he knocks out of the park here. I honestly do. It would be a waste and a shame and tragic if it fell under pretty much the sway and the tone and the skill of any of his other DC works outside of Animal Man, I guess. So fingers crossed. I really hope that Lemire proves us all wrong. I really do. Moving ahead, we also have, well, what seems to be a reboot, relaunch of The Mask in a limited series from the creator or I think showrunner of Halt and Catch Fire, that AMC prestige drama show that lasted a couple years and I think it ended like two years ago. It apparently is going to be a very political thing. It's going to be a satire of modern political discourse, particularly, of course, the Make America Great Again movement headed by Trump and the Trump campaign. It's specifically zeroing in on, well, Trumpism and the alt-right, and it's going to be about the new big head killer as the mask is known in the actual universe of the comics campaigning it would be about him running for office and well there are so many ways that this can go wrong that this can become borderline unreadable and just insanely insanely bad and awful and just terrible there are so many things that can go faulty any moment when writing something like this and we've seen it again and again in terms of well trying to make these charged comics and then not also making anything that is worth reading or that is enjoyable or entertaining on any level while also trying to have a message you know it's a fine line and there's an interview with the writer about the comic and it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. I'm still going to check it out. I love the mask. I love the comics. I think they're a riot. And I also think that there are some extremely effective moods and tones that it hits. There are so many different mask issues, solos, ongoings, miniseries. So I want to hope that this turns out okay. It definitely has potential. I'm not going to write off the premise off the bat. I know a lot of people have. Although it's going to have to do a lot of work in the first issue that it comes out with to sell that premise. And fingers crossed for that too. And penultimately, we have the announcement that John Carpenter is going to be writing Joker one-shot for this whole year of villains event that Scott Snyder is doing across the DCU. I don't know what that's going to be about, but hopefully it turns out okay. And lastly, we have the announcement of Fantastic Four Grand Design, a companion piece slash successor to X-Men Grand Design by Ed Piscor. This new two-part series is going to be done by Tom Scioli, and it's going to be, well... A retelling of the Fantastic Four mythology in the same vein as X-Men. Now Tom Scioli released last year a pitch of his for this project and it was I think four prologue pages that detailed the origin of Galactus through his point of view and it was actually pretty amazing. It was honestly so gripping and it was fun and lively and it was so so captivating and and it was colorful and vibrant and unique. The preview pages that we have for Fantastic Four Grand Design as it is right now for the final product look less inspiring. They look pretty much just like a straight retelling. It doesn't even try to capture the tone of the documentary style that X-Men Grand Design had and that's a bit disappointing. I was hoping for something a bit more unique, something a bit more I guess uh, individual about it and could only be found within the Grand Design style but I still have hope for it. I still hope it's going to be great. I have a lot of faith in Tom Scioli. I have a lot of faith in his vision here and well it's only going to be two issues. There's no word yet on whether or not it's going to be like X-Men Grand Design. That was broken up into a trilogy of two issues each. I would hope so because two issues seems like 
kind of a waste of a premise like this and a talent like that i would want to have like six great full issues to retell all the amazing things that we've seen from the fantastic four then again maybe it's gonna be just enough to get his work out there his vision for the property out there so fingers crossed hopefully we see some more enlightening things as we get closer to the release date now we can move ahead into what I read this week. First off, we have Second Coming number one, which after all the controversy and fears that this series might never come to light, Mark Russell and Richard Pace's Second Coming, well, we got it. We do have it. And was it worth all of the scandal, all of the hype, the anticipation? I guess my answer has to be more or less. I'm going to get this out of the way first. I can see why this series would be considered offensive. I've already seen a lot of takes on both sides about how offensive they took it and how they feel it's insensitive or that it's proposing a lot of well very harmful ideas honestly I can see why other people are saying that it's harmless and that's bland with how it treats Christianity. But then again, I feel like everyone has a point here because everyone has their own idea about Christianity and religion and all these other things that are tangled up in here. It just takes a lot of leaps and jumps with some of the most important teachings. And since it's played for satirical and comedic effect, sometimes they can just miss the mark of being poignant and just becomes, well, annoying. And for some, and well, for a lot, honestly, that's just being blasphemous for the sake of shock or just being ignorant about what's consider blasphemy. Now that's not what the series is all the time, but the lowest points of this issue are when that happens, and it does again and again. Which is a shame because it's going for some ignorantly low fruit, which hampers the stuff it does well, and the actual heartening message it's trying to impart. Both of which really speak to me, and that I feel is really captivating and sometimes honestly genuinely lovely. You get some of the old standards in this for sure, but honestly, there's never a bad time to reiterate why Jesus died for our sins, the importance of the incarnation, or the healing power of forgiveness and the grace needed to be able to do that. All of which are marks Russell hits beautifully. It's a shame we get the dips we do get, especially with the inane, crass, cursing God, which is kind of a passe cliche at this point. It's nothing mind-blowing, but at the very least, it has a better handle on itself than some of Russell's other recent works. And the lead characters have some empathy, they have a depthy, engaging side to them. And honestly, I'm with it for now, but hopefully it only gets better from here because a lot of it felt like a drag to get through and felt like... It wasn't reaching the potential it could have and what I was expecting from a writer as skilled as Mark Russell. It feels like it's only contributing to his decline and I hope that, well, it turns itself around. So one thumb up, one thumb middle. Next up we have Hawkman number 14, which is the very first issue of this whole new story arc or season with the new regular artist Pat Oleaf. And well, they do a good enough job. It's not as on brand for this new ongoing as the previous issue was, but Oleaf does a serviceable job and it keeps the necessary weight when it comes to the character and the environment. Although there are a lot of times when the art can come off as a bit dime store-esque JR Jr., overall that angle of the issue is sound secure. The rest of the issue is where the fun really begins because Venditti again zeroes in on a lot of what makes Hawkman as a premise so enticing. Carter trying to find some solace and place amidst all the recent revelations about his past. It's pretty engaging and sorrowful. And I love it for that. Throwing in such a petty and malicious villain like the Shadow Thief into the mix is just the cherry on top. It's heartbreaking to see Carter get some broken down by this guy, and one of the last messages he has is being taken by this douchebag. Yet it's so darkly done with such an incisive stroke that I am all for it. 
I really want to see Carter come back out on top here and I'm invested. I honestly am, which I'm surprised by because I was actually a bit cautious about how this issue and its arc was going to tie into Scott Snyder's Year of the Villain bullshit. But the issue goes at great lengths to downplay that as much as it can as it instead focuses on building up Shadow Thief's status as one of Hawkman's iconic enemies on its own before even revealing that or even touching that. So yeah, that's a good start. I'm still with this series. I still think it has a lot of potential and this was a great sort of, well, reinvigorating issue to start off this new story arc with by again seeing Carter at this impasse and developing off from where he is from the final issue of the first story arc that had him very much questioning his place in the world. So I'm excited for it. One thumb up, one thumb middle. And lastly, let's do a quick shot. It's for Red Hood and the Outlaws. This latest issue I thought was okay. It ends the Prince of Gotham stuff and again ties into Year of the Villain, but it does so in a way that I think feels a lot more at heart with the whole Red Hood and the Outlaws sort of mission statement that began with Rebirth with you know Jason trying to forge bonds here and so now we're getting him teaching Legion of Doom Academy or Generation Doom as the end text calls it and I'm excited not only because we're leaving behind a lot of what that Prince of Gotham arc was in the past it was just genuinely boring and awful and hopefully we can start seeing some more actual you know humanistic character beats and bonds being made because that's what made this run or at least used to make this run so special so hopefully I can get back onto this series full time again but anyway two thumbs middle moving ahead into what I watched this week first things up we have Legion season 3 episode 3 and this was an absolutely fantastic episode for a lot of reasons it's probably the most eloquent somber and tragic episode of the season so far it's maybe even the most entrancing episode of the entire series it's so condensed and focused as a character piece that it's brimming with emotions both high and low it presumably tells a story about how Professor X and his wife met and the encounter and eventual death of the Shadow King in his original body, but it tells it all from the point of view of Xavier's wife, which makes all the difference. We learned that she herself has mental health issues, and so everything in the episode, filtered through her own perspective, is tinted with this incredible sense of sadness as she becomes more and more uncertain about the world around her, and her fears about her own declining mental state, and what that means about her family, especially her son. It's almost overwhelming, especially near the end when the dramatic heights reach a thunderous crescendo. The anxiety that her actress exudes is magical and tangible and just directly in your face, never relenting. What gives the episode some extra bite is how it's framed throughout by David Ashley time traveling to try and protect his mother and his baby self from the Shadow King's soul, inadvertently ending up being the monstrosity that his father was trying to protect him from as a baby that led him to be sent away from anything that would have given him, I guess, a little bit more security in the world. And also pretty much killing his mother mentally. So yeah, no, this is one of those episodes. And it is just so effectively dark and down and depressive and I love it. I thought it was such a hard-hitting episode to really, I guess, pinpoint at this moment. And we get a lot of that in the visuals, especially one of David's soul we get for just a moment. And it is a horrible sight. It's an almost unrecognizable monster from the character we had been following for two seasons straight. It's terrible. And it adds to what was such an incredibly enigmatic episode overall and I love it. I thought it was honestly such a brilliant way of counterpointing and paralleling both David's journey and his own father's journey because they do that a lot. They even directly homage several scenes from the first season with his father and his romance with his mother and you can see the direct differences as to why David is well on such a darker less heroic path than his father was but you can also see the things that led them to well ruin and it's so tactfully done it's so tightly done 
god and i love it i thought it was a brilliant episode so yeah two thumbs up can't wait to see more Next up, we have Krypton Season 2, Episode 5, A Better Yesterday. And it was damn good. It hasn't belied my fears about this season's pacing at all, but it at least stretches out the period before the possible forthcoming crash. This is one of those tense after climax style episodes where you have a crushing development and then you have everyone just scrambling to get a line or tether to guide themselves with. And well, it's pretty enjoyable to see that chaotic mash of plans, goals, and hopes colliding in with each other. Not the least because it forces all of the characters interact and actually come to terms with their respective personalities and their clashing viewpoints. If you're going to try and be an ensemble who like this one is, then that bolsters everything up a notch. Not all of it is so tight, some of it is hampered by some really dragging and unnecessary dramatic irony, but the rest leads to some entertaining, sometimes really funny, back and forths. Even Seg himself gets in on the action, feeling more actualized than he has been in the last couple episodes, and getting some highlight moments with both Zod and Brainiac in the mix, which are spectacular. I still don't think that Seg himself is an interesting character, but there are some wonderful things that are done in this episode in trying to create dynamics with others. Both of the villains shine in their small beats of Seg, and kudos to all three because they pull it off and it is maybe one of the best scenes, or best handful of scenes in the series so far, so it was pretty great. For as dark and dramatic as the episode tries to be and it definitely does try it's really in the humor slight self-awareness and edges into screwball comedy that keep this one afloat it might lighten the experience up but it also helps to keep the dramatic stuff from being too overbearing since i don't think that any of that would have landed as impressively or as engaging as they would have wanted if they had played it so completely straight so i'm still cautiously hopeful for next week but honestly this was a really fun episode i thought seg was done well i thought the villains were hilariously good and i thought that at least every single subplot that we have here was definitely working toward you know an engaging character core or a captivating plot beat in their own way so this was definitely a tighter episode than we've seen in a while but fingers crossed that that keeps up so can't wait for next week one thumb up one thumb middle and finally we have swamp thing episode 7 brilliant disguise what a beautiful episode i have to say that let me get this out of the way avery sunderland stuff is just so bad the beats regarding the cables is fun enough in an over-the-top soapy way but sunderland himself is just awful he has bad acting his character writing is very loose and he just doesn't work the time spent on him is almost like time wasted if nothing else this episode at least opens up the arena for new primary antagonists and gives maria a greater foothold in the conflict because of the two Virginia Madsen is at least the one who's bringing it other than that the rest of the episode is actually pretty enchanting it's literally just a showcase for the dynamic and chemistry that's building up between Alec and Abby and it builds it up perfectly Crystal Reed and Andy Bean play off each other so well and so adorably that it's easy to fall into their budding romance as much as the characters themselves are. It takes its time to really show the ways they complement and feel for each other. For what makes up the brunt of the episode, it's a good place for it to hang its hat on. The relationship is cute, it's effective, and it once again makes me really disappointed that the show was cut off so short. It's not a hefty chapter, but it's hefty in terms of the emotional building that they're doing here. There's a lot of groundwork being set down here, and each one of it is so important and it's executed so finely that... Honestly, even though it's not a lot plot-wise and it's more about seeding things, it might be one of the best episodes of the series so far because it just does it so efficiently while not losing anything that would feel natural because the characters work together so, so engagingly, you know? And it was such a wonderful time to see them well, come to grips with each other and understand where this relationship is going. And that was fantastic. I loved it. I thought it was so amazing. Everything else like the Floronic Man and the Cables, like I said, they're entertaining in a soap opera way. But you know what? This series, when it hits like that, it hits it at least as watchable as it can. And this was 
imminently watchable. So overall, two thumbs up. I can't wait for next week. Only three episodes left. So that's gonna be that's gonna be quite a while. And there are no listener questions this week. I just want to say thank you to everyone out there who's ever sent in questions, comments, or topics. It means so much to me. You're all amazing, and I love answering them. So thank you so much for all that beforehand. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for that. So if anyone out there has their own questions, topics, or comments they want to hear discussed on the show, you can always find me on Twitter at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-A-N. And I want to give a shout out to the cover artist for this show at D-O-T-E-M-C-E-E. They're amazing. Go check them out. I just want to say thank Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and see you again next time.